welcome to episode number 84 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today, we've got Miriam Maima joining us as the next guest in our mini-series on the topic of challenging conversations and constructive feedback. Miriam is managing partner at Evolution, Silicon Valley's premier coaching, consulting, and investment firm, and is also co-founder of the Two Million Leaders Project. Thank you for your contributions today, Miriam. Yeah, thank you. Thank, I believe this podcast is a labor of love. So thank you to everyone who has listened to one or more than one episode. Thank you for all that you have put in to making this possible and making it accessible. And thanks yes, for letting it, me be a part of it. Yes, it is uh, definitely a labor of love. And I, I, th- thank you for putting it that way because, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it just en- it energizes me to meet new people like you and to, uh, and to help uh, share your stories with, with a broader audience. So that's always where we start the show. So before we get started, could you tell our listeners your story? I could. I well, a version of it. I never know exactly which version will be most impactful, but here's one. Well, I will see what comes up. I am lucky enough to have discovered when I was very young what I wanted to dedicate my life to. I was 13 when adults started to tell me that I should become a business psychologist. And that's an unusual thing for 13-year-olds <laughs> to hear. And it's a lucky me that I was finding some avenue to show up as myself and lucky me that some adults were noticing and sharing with me what they saw. And that's essentially what I've pursued my whole career. So I've studied business and psychology. I've, I've gone into culture and leadership development consulting, been internal in startups. Also now I'm full-time executive coach and facilitator, working with hundreds of companies, mostly high growth startups, but founders and senior leaders and many organizations across the world, including at least 12 that have over a billion dollar valuation, Academy Award winners, celebrities, Olympians turned entrepreneurs, but mostly just everyday folks trying to show up and have a good time and be effective in their roles. And it's been a, a, a total blast. And I, 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 I really feel like I'm doing the work that I was born to do. Yeah. Is, isn't it amazing that, uh, you know, we, we, in business, we always knew that the brain, uh, was this source of creativity and, uh, and, and ultimately the source of productivity that leads to profitability in, in the business world. But we're just finding it, it must be fascinating to, uh, come from a psychological background and, and be thinking about, you know, the power of the brain in the modern business world in terms of relationships and teams and, uh, you know, just how we show up in the world of work. It's just got to be a fascinating time for you. Oh my gosh, it really is. And changing so much. I mean, I've never been busier than during the pandemic. Uh, and the world is changing. Market conditions are changing really rapidly right now. And that's fascinating. And and I just really want people to feel like they're safe and they're taken care of and they can show up as their true selves and do the work they want to be doing. And so when that becomes more challenging, then my senses get heightened and I get more and more curious about how to show up and and support. 
So, so you were 13 years old when, yeah. when, when you kind of had that moment, uh, is, is there one other than that event, is there one event in your life that was just a key accelerant to your career a- after you had that kind of light bulb moment at 13? Heck yeah. I was, I, I was a consultant. So this is back in, I want to say 2008. And I thought I had the dream job that I was going to be in for the rest of my life. I was a consultant working with companies like Nintendo, Clorox, uh, JetBlue, and helping them understand the dynamics that were happening inside their organizations and how that tied to bottom line performance. And it was just like, ah, my idea, it was just so fascinating, so purpose-filled for me because I really thought I was helping companies connect the dots between how they treat people and the results they're getting. But unfortunately for a lot of business leaders, that's not an obvious connection. So I thought... Right. To you and I, it's like, ah, that's obvious. Uh, But to a lot of folks, it's just not. So I thought that's what I was up to. And I was feeling really filled with purpose. And I was married. And um, my mom had just gone through cancer treatments and was in remission. So I was in this high point of my life. And over the course of about six months, that all shifted. So my mom passed away. My and my husband wanted to get divorced. And all of a sudden, also at the same time, my work started to feel increasingly empty because I, I mentioned a few names of companies who were in it for the right reasons, but a lot of companies were calling me and our organization up to get a pretty board deck to check the culture box and move on. And so I was feeling like I was helping people feel good, but they weren't actually doing the work. So I was more of the problem instead of part of the solution. So all of a sudden, it's like the trifecta. I mean, I was really having trouble... F- figuring out what's up from down, what's left from right. And what, what I thought I knew all of these things. And all of a sudden the future that I was attached to is gone. And it was, it was a lot to take on. And I hired my first coach in that moment and she helped me. You were talking about head and that's how I'd lived my life is really analyzing and logical and thinking and planning and learning and my first coach helped me drop out of my head and into my heart and learn about these things called emotions, which I was pretty much detached from and, and just, um, I thought immune to, which I thought was a good thing. <laughs> but because of very intense life circumstances, I had the opportunity to all of a sudden get more in tune with how my physiology works, how to breathe, how to manage myself, how to be more present and access my energy in different ways. And I, I also, it just kind of set me on a new trajectory overall. And those principles became not only things that I was going to study intensely, but also integrate into basically everything I've done since then is to help myself and others become more attuned to what's happening in the moment and how to use that as helpful information to accomplish whatever we're saying are our goals. That's a really inspiring uh, story and so serendipitous uh, because on this screen over here, I literally have the script for this weekend's Saturday morning muse, which is something I do every, every release every Saturday. And it's about the, uh, about the art of self-reflection. And, uh, and, and so I'm, you know, trying to teach, uh, my, you know, my, my, my listeners, my audience about 
connecting with uh, oneself and uh, connecting with the, the, the you know the the voices that live with, within us and getting the most uh, out of those voices instead of uh, having those voices be our be our greatest detractors. <laughs> um, so th- thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, let's dive into the topic at hand, mm-hmm. which is challenging conversations. Can you help us understand your approach to delivering constructive feedback and engaging in those difficult conversations? Yeah. And I'm going to continue to reference, it sounds like things that you're going to talk about on Saturday. So maybe we'll, we'll pull from some of those notes, but I believe what is, what we would call difficult conversations as much as possible. I like to put difficult in quotes because what feels like a difficult conversation to us has much more to do with how far outside my comfort zone having this conversation Mm -hmm. is than the actual content. So there's no conversation that needs to be had that by definition is difficult. I mean, I, I work with leaders who need to make very challenging decisions about layoffs or exiting people. And those are not fun. But I also wouldn't call them... I mean, maybe those are the only ones we can say by definition are difficult, but we could also just say they're important conversations. They're hard conversations to have, but they don't have to be difficult. And difficult is where I think we get in our own way. We start overthinking it and we carry a lot of our own position or point of view into the conversation. And so we don't make space to understand what's happening on the other side. We forget that even feedback, even the most difficult conversation is a two-way conversation. So usually when I'm working with folks, I want to understand what, why do you feel like this is such a difficult conversation? What feels hard to you about it? And most of the time it's managing themselves. So figuring out why am I so upset about this? And it almost always, someone's upset about something their colleague has done, but it comes back to something that they are upset with themselves about. Maybe they weren't as clear with this person in terms of their expectations Maybe they didn't give them the appropriate level of access to them for feedback along the way. Maybe they didn't stay close enough to a project. So it comes back to some sort of self-evaluation. We need to clear that out before having a conversation with anyone else, because otherwise you're going to be bringing all that to a conversation and to to someone who has no control over you and how you manage yourself. So there's a lot of self-management first and then remembering that it's a two-sided conversation. And so I like to, as much as possible, just lower the bar in terms of what your expectations are coming out of this quote-unquote difficult conversation. And most of the time, people, again, they're in their head thinking, I really need this person to understand. I need to fix their performance. I need to... And so there's this not only pressure on themselves, but pressure on the conversation that is less than helpful. So as much as possible, de-escalating the, how someone's orienting towards the conversation, which kind of ironically allows for it to become increasingly impactful. And the the less we need or expect out of conversation, the more likely it's going to be transformational. Yeah, thank you for stressing that it's a all these conversations are a two-way street. The you know the other side uh, has that same self-talk. Uh, has developed uh, their own narrative of how this is all supposed to go. You don't know whether they've gone through that process of self-reflection and uh, and really driving toward root cause. Uh, so. I, I, I love how you framed it, you know, lower your expectations. 
because all, all conversations like this are more often a journey than they are uh, one and done. We have the conversation and oh, oh that, that was great. Now, now we can move on. Yeah, exactly. That was very well said. Yes, it's a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they are a journey. So you're an executive coach and facilitator. What role does the ability to engage in challenging conversations play in your specific work? You know, I'm privileged in that most of the time when I'm walking in an office, be it virtual or physical, I am usually there to meet with a boss. And I had a moment just this past year where I realized how rare that is. I realized how most people walking into the building would relate to the boss as someone who hierarchically is almost inaccessible or is up on a pedestal. And I, it helped reinforce for me a sense of uh, commitment to make sure that any and all time that I have with the senior leader is in support of everybody that they work with. And so it doesn't do anyone any good if I'm seeing something or feeling something and holding back. I need to be a truth teller on behalf of everybody who doesn't have that opportunity, doesn't have the ear of that person. And so I think traditional coaching is very question-based and helps and inquiry-based and helps people arrive at necessary conclusions or understand new possibilities through questioning And personally, in my coaching, I mix that with very direct feedback. And I find that that's what senior leaders crave the most because it's what they're getting the least of. So they need it. The company needs them to have it. And there are very few people who have the opportunity to give it. So I'd say it's, 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 it's one of the most important things that I get to do. Yeah, we, you reminded in your in your response there. You reminded me of uh, something that uh, uh, one one of one of my guests on the show very early on in the podcast, uh, and and this podcast never saw the light of day because the the guest uh, we we got done and the guest was like, uh, no, I don't I don't want to publish that, um, but 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 he, but he said everyone is is reachable. Everyone is accessible. Uh, and this gentleman come, came from the music industry, uh, and our, our, our son Nicholas is in the background as producers shaking his head, nodding his head right now, uh, because I'm a musician and, uh, and, and, and I'm all, I've also been a senior leader and I know, I know firsthand both sides of that, uh, where, where folks were scared uh, to come to talk to me, uh, they, you know, f- I, you know, I'm, I'm what five, five feet seven inches tall and weigh weigh 150 pounds, soaking wet. So I'm not a, I'm not a, a huge presence, but the position is one that is a huge presence. So if our people remember that everyone is accessible and everyone is just a, just a human being at their core. And then uh, if you uh, in your role are helping to, you know, reduce uh, some of that uh, anxiety, that, that, that's just, that, that's super cool that you're able to do that uh, in your role. Yeah. Thanks. So Miriam, is there a mentor, former boss or colleague that, in your opinion, just had outstanding 
challenging conversation skills. What, what set them apart? I'm thinking of one manager that I had in particular who I regularly think of when I'm preparing to have difficult conversations to make sure that I'm living up to this person's bar. And two things they brought to the conversation with me or the relationship with me was curiosity and partnership. And they were able to give me the same feedback that I'd heard from other managers, but in a completely different way. And so let me, I'll I'll tell you a brief story about three different managers. One manager said, Miriam, you come in first, you leave last, you have great work ethic, keep up the good work. And I thought, oh, that's so good, right? It was like, my takeaway from that was, I'm doing a great job. Keep coming in early, keep leaving last was basically the main, (laughs) main takeaway. Come in earlier, maybe leave later. That was my takeaway. Fast forward about 18 months, I had a new manager and this person pulled me into a room. This is the the what not to do. And just honestly, I don't know another word besides berate. I mean, just berating me and just wouldn't relent until I started to cry. And then his shoulders dropped and he felt better. It was like, he felt like he had really broken through. And what he said is, you come in first, you leave last. What are you trying to prove? You're ruining the culture here. You're too competitive and it's not working. And so I was so confused. I mean, and just kept at it. So he was observing the same behavior, creating different connections between what was happening and whether it was a good or bad thing. So his his assessment of it was different. But obviously my takeaway was what? I mean, it was... I, I honestly didn't know what to do. Usually when I ask people like, what would your takeaway be from that? Most people are like, I don't know. Cause what was mm-hmm. I supposed to change? But it actually like woven in there was some helpful feedback for me, but it took a lot for me to get to it. The third manager said, Hey, Miriam, I have a hypothesis that when you most need help is when you're least likely to ask for it. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? She said, I know you're on deadline. I saw you come in first, leave last, but you're not with anyone else. You're just heads down working on things by yourself. And I'm wondering if you know you can ask for support and know how to reach out and collaborate mm-hmm. with others. And woof, that was for the next seven years, I just kept telling myself when I most need supports, when I'm least likely to ask for it. And I really learned a lot about myself and how to become a higher performer and more collaborative. So the partnership and curiosity, the, the, she was throwing out a theory, a hypothesis to me. So she'd taken the time to think about it, but was holding it really lightly. Mm-hmm. And those are things I definitely want to coach other people to do as well. Is what's your hypothesis? Can you hold it lightly? Can there be positive intent and infused in what you're assuming? And can you signal a sense of partnership in what you're in the feedback that you're providing and how someone's going to action against it? That is fantastic. Thank you for that. We're going to take a really short break uh, for a commercial and we'll be right back with Miriam. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. And we're back with Miriam Maima talking about challenging conversations in the workplace. Miriam, let's run a quick thought experiment. 
Suppose you have an early career manager in front of you right now who struggles to have effective, challenging conversations with colleagues. What's your advice for them? First and foremost, create an agreement up front with the people that you want to have more feedback conversations with, that you're going to start doing it on a regular basis. So I find that it's helpful to to actually say, I want to get better at giving you feedback. Are you interested in that? So having the initial conversation be a bit more meta, but create an agreement and understand that the person has said yes, they've opted in to getting feedback. Most people want more feedback Mm, more often. So that's first, especially if they are thinking about people on their team. Just say, I want to be giving you feedback on a regular basis. Let's talk about how best to do that. So that's first, kind of set set it as a foundation so they can get out of their head around, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing? The answer is yes. Then have many, 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 many more conversations, smaller, sooner feedback conversations and make them two-way conversations. And yeah, so I would just say, say, essentially, it's weaving into the flow of your work week feedback that you're going to be giving, period. Yeah, they. Well, uh, so that's a touchdown uh, moment uh, for me uh, in my in my next book, uh, the balanced business. Uh, I, I I talk a, a lot about that uh, the 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 feedback in woven into the flow of work. Uh, and uh, personally, I want folks, I want business leaders to just get rid of the annual review altogether. You know those things. Uh, spark anxiety for all parties when they they only happen once a year and then everybody both sides are like what's going to happen here <laughs> i'm terrible at giving feedback i never receive feedback and everybody's spinning so what what yes. do you think about the annual review should it what should the annual <sighs> review be in your opinion i think that's a cultural touch point. So I do like zooming out. So it's less of the tactical day-to-day feedback and it's more on a, on a larger level. How am I aligned with the culture of the company? How am I contributing to the culture of the organization? And to how am I, um, and I, and I usually, I find that employees love the opportunity to have career conversations with their manager, which doesn't usually fit into the normal flow of work week. So as long as that's happening quarterly, great. You know, we don't need the performance evaluation, but if not, then it's, it's often the only feedback people get. And so I don't want to do away with it until we do follow your advice, which is really, we weave it in. Yeah, but I'm about that. Let's weave it in. Yeah. I, I want, I want to turn the, uh, uh, the annual review into a learning and a skills uh, inventory conversation, which is Ooh. very much aligned with, uh, you know, the the, the career aspirations uh, conversation that, that you're talking about. You know, what what are the skills that are necessary in the department uh, to get our to get our work done and to be the best team possible? And then what are what are what is your skill set today? What, uh, what are the gaps? How do we close them with, uh, with more learning and development for you to make you a better human being? Uh, to me, that's all just a, a win-win. And that leads me to a, the next question. I, I, you know, you can see how excited I'm getting. I love to talk <laughs> about skills. Yeah, yeah. What, what skills do our listeners need to hone to become better at delivering constructive feedback? 
I'm going to offer two and then a framework that I like to use when giving feedback. So the first one is just listening. I think that it's one of the most foundational leadership skills that anyone on the planet can and needs to develop. Most of us are not really tuning in to what people are trying to say. My understanding is we have about a hundred words a minute that we can say out loud, but in our minds, we have at least a thousand words a minute. And beyond that, (laughs) these images and these concepts that are in our minds that feel so clear, but we're trying our best to filter them through our our preferred language or whatever our language is. And that's really hard to do. Most of us aren't that great at that filtering process. So instead of getting more curious about what's in your head that you aren't yet communicating, that's what I want people to do. But most people instead put too much weight on people's words and attach to them as though that's what their truth is. And so listening, I just want people to listen, get curious, listen with open-mindedness, be growth-oriented. That That's number one. Number two is it's really a process, which is what a lot of my tech clients call a retro. And it's for anyone in any role. And it's a moment of pause and look back at what happened. What did we learn from this? And everybody involved gets to take responsibility for what they did and what they could have done better. And that... So I guess embedded in that is the skill of self-reflection, being willing and able to take responsibility which for some people is really hard, especially if they feel like they have something to prove or yeah. there something's on the line for them, then it's really hard for them to take responsibility, but they need to be able to do that in order to invite others to do the same. So, um, but also it's, that's, that's one way that I like to weave feedback into the flow. Of we, the people who work with me, we always, every day we're like, Oh, that was a miss. Oh, that fell through the crack. Okay. Let's talk, talk it through what happened. How could we do better next time? Or how do we make sure that doesn't happen again? So listening is number one, being able to do it retro. So having that process is number two. And then the framework I use is ASAP and agree. So it's an acronym, ASAP. Uh, The first A is appreciate. The, The S is share. The second A is ask. And then P is pause. So appreciate, share, ask, pause. And the cycling through ASAP until you can come to a clear agreement of who will do what mm-hmm. by when. Because often we have feedback conversations and then we're done and we think we are clear about what's going to happen. And the other person thinks they're clear and what's going to happen and they don't always match up. So right. in the feedback conversation, let's just get clear about what's going to happen by when, even if it's let's circle back to this next week and touch base. Great, whatever it is. And then if you can put it in writing, that's helpful. But in ASAP, I like to lead with appreciation as little as thanks for making time for this, or I really value your commitment to our team or something, some acknowledgement of what this person is doing right. Usually we're not focused on catching people doing something right, which by the way, is a form of feedback. I think usually when we hear feedback, we think critical. Mm -hmm. Let's remember that positive feedback is just as meaningful, if not more as an extent to the more of what we want. So appreciate, share. The caveat here is people just need to be a bit more direct. Usually they, they want to lead the person down a path towards this natural conclusion that what they did was ineffective. But usually I like to kind of start with the punchline and make space for the other person to ask questions or gather more context as needed. Um, it's 
could go into that a lot more, but ask, appreciate, share, and then ask a question. Turn over the conversation to the other person and then pause. That's yeah. when you're going to activate your listening skills. That's that's fantastic. What uh, as a continuous improvement guy, the thing that immediately popped into my head when you uh, uh, with the acronym ASAP is uh, the plan, do, check, act cycle. Yeah, uh, and you know just make sure that there is a cycle and it's not just a linear one, two, three, four, done. Because <laughs> very little in this world is done after one, two, three, four. There's all sorts of loopbacks and cycles that we have to deal with. So treat a, a difficult conversation as a, as a cycle. That's great, great advice. Yeah. Miriam, as we uh, begin to close out the show, I'm really interested in what you're doing from uh, a business and consulting uh, perspective, uh, this business uh, evolution. Uh, is there a recent project or win that you can share with us that exemplifies uh, your mission and purpose? Yeah, absolutely. I, well, one is not a win, but it is a win. So let me just share that one. <laughs> And then if we have time, I'll share a second. But um, I, I do quite a bit of co-founder coaching. And it's kind of like marriage counseling, but oh, yeah. in the business context of where literally co-founders, but it can also be with executive team members, come together and they're having a really hard time aligning and it's driving a wedge through the success of the business. And so bringing co-founders together, in my mind, the goal is not that they'll be peaceful and live happily ever after and run the business perfectly in unison. It's that we will figure out how to make this work for both people and the business. And sometimes that means someone leaving. Sometimes it means they work together happily ever after. And recently I had one where it just wasn't going to work. It was too far gone. There was so much challenge that they'd experienced over so many years. They just couldn't see each other cleanly or clearly or with fresh eyes. And so as it was like two steps forward, one step back in terms of our progress of them being able to collaborate. And so they made a decision to, one of them was going to transition out and they did it with grace and they did it with a, a certain level of transparency to the organization. And they figured out how to do it in a way that was able to preserve their relationship on an ongoing basis. So to me, that's a win. I think for a lot of people, they would think it's not, but to me, it's, it is. Yeah. 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 Do we have time for one more? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. So a different one. I'm finding that more organizations are investing in developing everyone, whereas mostly development or leadership development has been preserved for people managers or people leaders. Right. And a lot of ICs, they just want to know the basics and how are they going to become people managers or up, basically up level in their career if they aren't gaining access to training. So I've worked with some companies and I work with companies that are from one person up to 60,000, but recently a couple that are around 100 to 200 folks we've gone through and we've figured out what are the key skills we want everybody to have and how do we convert that into an experience that we offer to everybody at the company and take them through a journey? And so it's been a it's been wonderful to see essentially the transformation they're able to accomplish collectively simply by introducing some key 
language and frameworks so that they could all be more in unison. Well, I applaud uh, your efforts to democratize uh, learning and coaching within within businesses. Uh, in my my former uh, company, uh, Kaplan, uh, and in the present state, I, I talk a lot about the, that democratization of of learning and coaching and how important that is to building a high impact uh, culture. Uh, final question for you: what, What's next for Miriam Mima? It's that democratizing learning and development, that's the main thing. So you you mentioned in the top of this podcast that I'm the co-founder of a 2 million leaders project. Yeah. And that was me about 10 years ago setting the, what felt like a really ambitious goal to figure out how I can support 2 million people on this planet to identify as leaders, which is really to recognize the impact they're having. I believe everybody's always having an impact on everyone around them, but it's rare still for people to wake up to what is that impact I'm having and then think about what's the impact I want to have and start to understand how to show up in order to have that impact. How do I take care of myself so I can show up to have that impact and so on. So that was my goal back then. Andy, I have a new goal. What's that? A hundred million. A hundred million. Nice. Why not? You know, I mean, Hey, Aim for the moon. Is it, is, did I get that backwards? Sometimes I um, invert. Shoot, shoot for the shoot for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> shoot for the moon. Land among the stars. Is that what it is? Well, so, Miriam, I, I think your uh, you know your hundred million number is is not off because uh, yeah. if we look at the World Economic Forum and their reskilling revolution, they've identified that we've got to reskill a billion people uh, on the planet over the next uh, 10, 10 years. Uh, so, you know, your hundred million in terms of leadership capability and building leadership skill, uh, it is, it is not, it is not, uh, it is not off at all. In fact, it might be low. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I thank yeah. you for affirming that. Cause I think that sometimes, and I've had people say, Miriam, don't, a hundred millions like that, like go for it. But I do, I think about them like that's kind of low. It's, it's more than I've achieved, yeah. but less than I want to achieve. So I guess it's just what I'm orienting towards now of how can I have a ripple effect that will have an impact on that many folks. And I don't have the answer to it and I'm open to suggestions, <laughs> but thank you for partnering with me for the, the extent to which I can do that for your listeners. Absolutely. Miriam, it's been just an absolute pleasure uh, getting to know you today. Thank you for your significant contributions to the show. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. We're on all the major podcasting services, as well as uh, the video version of this will be out on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, rate, share, get involved in the conversation, and we will see you next time. Woohoo!